Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Justin Wynn. And we're excited that you're listening this morning. It is the Spring into Summer KDUR Pledge Drive. You could call in right now, 247-7262, again, 970-247-7262, to donate to KDUR and to help keep the radio station and this show on the air. Well, I promised you to speak today on the Cosmic Ripple Big Bang news item that came out a couple weeks ago, and as excited as I am to talk about that, I'm going to have to put it off a few weeks. Bart Ehrman came out with his latest attack on Christianity, how Jesus became God, and several Christian scholars came out with a response the same day, March 25th, titled, How God Became Jesus. And it's exciting. We're going to have most of the authors of that book on the God Solution in the coming weeks. We're going to start this week with Dr. Michael Bird, who is a lecturer in theology at Ridley Theological College in Melbourne, Australia. And it is going to be an incredible interview with Dr. Michael Bird. Hey, Dr. Bird, welcome to the God Solution. Okay, good here. But first thing you have to do, you have to call me Mike, not Dr. Bird. All right, Mike. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, we're, we're, we're Australians down here, mate. We're very egalitarian. We're all mates. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I love your accent, Michael. This is going to be a fun interview. Really? Well, get used to it because that's the accent of heaven, my friend. That's awesome. <laughs> there you go. Well, Mike, thanks for being on the show, and thank you for putting together such a wonderful book. I've just been reading How God Became Jesus, a response to Bart Ehrman's book, How Jesus Became God, and I've been very pleased with it. I know in the past I've seen Ehrman's work and read some of it, and I've always been a bit upset about how there hasn't been a concerted effort to address his work, and I was so surprised to see that this book was coming out, and I couldn't wait for it to come out. I kept counting down the days to the 25th of March, and I was excited to buy that book, and I've loved it. So thanks for putting together such a great book. On ours, thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So as we get started here, I wanted to ask first, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Um, yeah, okay, that's a good question. Um, well, I've, I've grown up pretty much most of my life in Australia. Um, uh, I, I grew up in a, in a non-Christian home. You know, we, we did not have a religion part of our life. Uh, Australia is a very incredibly secular country. Um, church attendance would be, you know, maybe between 2 and 5%. Uh, we, we, this is a country that's also very multicultural. We have more Buddhists than Baptists uh, in our country. And so, so growing up in, in a fairly secular suburban Australia, uh, re- religion, particularly Christianity, was not part of my life. And in, in fact, I can go so far as to say everything I knew about Christianity, I pretty much learned from Ned Flanders of The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, that was pretty much the only real form of religious instruction that I had. Uh, but... Growing up, you know, like any young person thinking about things, you know, I, I did have questions. And for the most part, I just mimicked the somewhat rampant secular ideologies that were around me that I was surrounded in. But I always knew there was something sort of some lacking. I did have suspicions of something else, but I knew I wasn't meant to think that. And it wasn't until many years later when I was in the army. Uh, serving time in there, that uh, a friend invited me to church, and, and pretty much I went along out of sheer boredom. And uh, going along, it was it was quite an experience for me because my 
caricature of, of church of Christians was it's a bunch of moralizing geriatrics hypocrites. That's kind of what I was expecting. Uh, but I went along and it was a, it was a new church plant in, uh, in, in, in Sydney and the people were nice, uh, kind of not, not like just nice, but kind of like crazy weird nice. Uh, there was something strangely wrong with them. Uh, and I, I, I hang around, hung around them a bit more and uh, I, I heard this message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins. And uh, eventually I was confronted with the reality that Jesus is Lord and I need him to forgive me for what I've done. And back in 1994, I remember praying that Christ would forgive me and that he would receive me. And uh, ever since then, the world's been a different place. So that's the story of how I came to faith from a, a fa fairly secular upbringing uh, to a point where i am uh, been walking with Jesus now for uh, over 20 years. And uh, I've reached the dizzying summits of even being a seminary professor. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's awesome. So um, how did you develop an interest in apologetics? Um, I think it, it came fairly naturally. When, when, you, when you come to faith, you tend to be excited about something and you want to share it and, 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 and t talk to people about it. It's, you know, it's, 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 you just get excited. And when you do start to talk to people about this, you begin to notice they do not share your enthusiasm for the subject. And then they start you know, coming back on you with questions like, oh, you believe in God, really? Well, riddle me this, Mike. Do you reckon God could build, make a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it? Uh, you know, you get there's all sorts of things or, you know, haven't you read the Dan Brown novel? I mean, it's just one big conspiracy, man. So when you, when you come across that kind of stuff, you, you do have to go back and think, OK, what am I actually meant to say to people when they bring up this sort of thing? And, you know, it's worth pointing out that there are some commands in Scripture about being always prepared to provide a defense of the hope that is within you. So as a part of our discipleship. Uh, we should be equipping ourselves to be able to respond in grace and in truth to those who query us or who prod or kick back at us when we talk about faith. And, and one of the good things about me is when I did become a Christian, I was very well discipled by a, a young pastor in his first church. And I spent some time one on one with him and he took me through some apologetic stuff. And that was, I think, a, a very good thing that he did. And that kind of prepared and primed me for uh, not just to parrot things I heard in church, but to have a very, uh, oh, sorry, to have a faith that is actually a thinking faith, a genuine faith-seeking understanding, if you know what I mean. So that's how I kind of got into apologetics. And, and in my view, uh, knowing something about apologetics should be one of the basic tasks of discipleship. Absolutely. So why did you write this book, How God Became Jesus? Well, uh, I, I was at a conference in Baltimore in November last year called the Society of Biblical Literature. It's a huge conference of professors in biblical studies from all over America, all over the world. And I was walking up and down the book exhibits and I saw this you know, big, huge, massive poster for Bart Ehrman's uh, latest book, how Jesus Became God, The Exaltation of a Jewish Preacher from Galilee. And I looked at this huge poster, and immediately I knew that in the coming months, my email box was going to be filling up with people who had either read the book or had spoken to people who had read the book. In the past, I received uh, a number of emails from people who have been in places where, there is, where they've been somewhat um, assailed or, or, or confronted by people who have read Ehrman's book 
kind of deriding or, or thinking they can disprove Christianity. I've received a number of uh, emails from Christians in the Middle East saying, look, you know, some of the Muslims they're talking to have been reading Bart Ehrman. They're using that as as ammunition for saying that the Christian scriptures are corrupt, therefore they cannot be trusted, so that's why you should convert to Islam. I remember thinking it would be good if someone could come up with a real-time, immediate response to uh, Bart Ehrman rather than waiting for the years that pass along when this book comes out and then responses finally get written. So I, I went around to a couple of uh, guys I know, particularly you know, Simon Gathercole, who's a uh, professor at Cambridge University in, in, in Britain, and spoke to a few other friends. Um, and, you know, I decided, I said, hey, guys, would you like to be involved in a, in a, in a response to Airmen? And um, they all said yes. They said they'd be glad to do it, and I was able to get involved. Simon Gathercole, Craig Evans, Chris Telling, and Charles Hill, guys who are, you know, Guru Swami, Ninja, Jedi Masters, SEAL Team 6 guys <laughs> in their field. Um, and it was really great to be able to have them on board. These guys are, are, are leading experts in, in their precise field of Christology and Christian origins. I spoke to our publisher at Zondervan, and they were, they were very enthused about the topic. Harper One uh, graciously gave us a pre-publication copy of the manuscript, and then over the winter break, over Christmas, we busily went to work writing up our responses to Bart Ehrman's book. And the resultant product is what you have, is how God became Jesus. I hope you do this with every future Ehrman book that comes out. I've loved this, and that's always been my frustration, how these books come out, and they're great scholars that have great answers, and I always kind of have to search throughout the their blogs or wherever. You know, sometimes we get one on the show to discuss it, but it's never quite the quick response that this was. So, again, thank you so much. This was a phenomenal response and, and came out the same day, which I thought was excellent. Yeah, well, thank you very much to Harper One and Zondervan for all the effort they put into it. We, we produced this book in like 100 days. That's incredible. From, That's from the idea being pitched to publication. And uh, I know I think I ruined the Christmas for a great many people in Grand Rapids. <laughs> but uh, but such is life. <laughs> All right. So what does uh, Bart Ehrman claim in his book? Basically what Ehrman claims is that Jesus did not think he was divine. Jesus saw himself as a prophet proclaiming God. It was with the resurrection that Christians began to think of Jesus as divine. And when I say divine, I'm doing the thing with my fingers and the quotation marks. Because for Ammon, divinity is a big continuum. It, it's a big spectrum. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean absolute deity. You can have different levels of divinity. And he, he uses examples from the Greco-Roman world and from Second Temple Judaism to talk about that. For example, you know, you can find stories of, of you know, Greek gods who become human, you know, like Zeus, you know, running around. Or you have some of the patriarchs like Enoch who are thought to become angels when they're, when they're, when they're taken up into heaven. And he says that provides uh, the kind of categories for which the early church meant when they thought Jesus was divine. It's only later with the Gospel of John. And then even only beyond that, when you get to the Council of Nicaea, that you really have Jesus identified as God in the full and complete sense as being one with God Almighty. 
And he plots then a somewhat evolutionary process where initially the early church believed that Jesus was exalted to God's right hand, kind of as you know, God's grand vizier in some sense. And then they, they read that, that exaltation, that divinity, back early into his life. They read it from his resurrection then back into his, his birth as you get in the infancy narratives of Matthew and Luke. And then they could read it even back earlier into the case of pre-existence in terms of the Gospel of John and Paul. But on Paul, Ammon thinks that Paul believed that Jesus was an angel who became human and was then exalted up into heaven. So those are the sorts of the things that Ammon is saying. And let me be frank, not everything he says is wrong. Um, you know, Ehrman does say some, some right things, some good things. I mean, he admits that Jesus exists. That's a, that's a good start, at least I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Jesus thought he was the Messiah. Uh, the early church did have, a, have some sense in which they thought he was divine. Uh, but it's after that some of the things get a bit more problematic. Some of the things I think I would say differently. Some of the things he says I would nuance differently. And some of the things, to be perfectly honest, are just flat out incorrect if you're reading the evidence properly. Absolutely. I've mentioned Ehrman's last book, Did Jesus Really Exist?, on the show a few times, and I appreciate how he mentioned that those who doubt Jesus' historical existence are mythicists, and so it is nice to see some of that honesty at times. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're interviewing Dr. Michael Bird of Melbourne, Australia, about his new book, How God Became Jesus. It's also KDUR's pledge drive. Call 247-7262. Again, that's 970-247-7262 to make a pledge this morning. I think Ehrman's book, his newest one, as with some of the others, seemed to be borderline conspiracy theory. How did you, in this book, respond to the claims that Ehrman makes that you just shared? Well, we we go about that in a number of ways, and and here I have to summarize uh, many of the uh, fine contributions made by my co-authors in the book. Uh, In one of the first chapters, what I do is I say, okay, what was the nature of Jewish monotheism? Now, it's true in the ancient world you could have a spectrum of ideas about divinity in in various degrees of intensity or, or tiers in which you were closer to God, but in the Jewish view, Rooted in Israel's scripture and in its sacred traditions, there is a very clear distinction between God and all other reality. Although there can be angels, there can be exalted patriarchs, you can have, you can have those sorts of things going on, they are always part of a creaturely and created reality. And they are not part of God's own unique identity. So that's the first thing I point out. Uh, monotheism was not quite so slippery as Ammon thinks on the Jewish side. I think I can show that there was a very strict monotheism. There was a differentiation between God and all other created reality. Uh, the second thing I then go on to show in one of my chapters is that Jesus did think he was God. When Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, what that meant in light of the prophetic script he is following is it means the coming of God as king. Jesus believed in his own person, in his own work. He was enacting, he was embodying the kingship of God. And it was through his return to his journey to Jerusalem that the long-awaited promise of the return of Yahweh to Zion 
was finally happening. And here I think of you know the wonderful passages of Isaiah 40 to 55. All that stuff was happening. And that explains why Jesus could speak with a, an unmediated sense of divine authority. He doesn't talk along the lines of the word of the Lord came unto me. Uh, he, he seems to speak from God on the inside, given an interior perspective on God. He even seems to identify himself with God's own actions and activity in the world. He believes that he is going to share the throne with God the Father, not have his own miniature throne next to God, but he will sit at the right hand of God on God's throne. And these are de facto claims to divinity. And that simply flies into the face of what a lot of what Ammon says. For example, Ammon doesn't think Jesus even claimed to be the Son of Man. Rather, Jesus was waiting for the, for the coming of the Son of Man, a figure other than himself. And I have a, a lengthy discussion of that showing why that is simply not the case. That was an older scholarly view, which, quite frankly, went out of favor around the same time that Disco died. <laughs> um, uh, in a following chapter, then, Craig Evans does a cracking good job of looking at the burial traditions of Jesus. Ammon argues that Jesus probably was not buried. So he wasn't buried by Joseph of Arimathea. There was no empty tomb, although the disciples probably had subjective visions of Jesus, which made them think that he was alive. Craig Evans does a devastating job on Ammon here, looking at archaeological evidence to show that the burial of victims of crucifixion, according to Jewish custom under Roman law, was still quite normative. And that doesn't mean it always happened. Uh, but people from who were crucified uh, often were buried, and it's it's quite a devastating chapter. Uh, the next thing that happens in the book is Simon Gathercole. Uh, he looks at some of the statements in the Gospels about, I mean, do, do the Gospels portray Jesus just as a prophet, or do they seem to have a, a somewhat higher Christology? Do they have some sort of sense of pre-existence going on? And, and Simon does a very good job there. He's already written a book on that topic. He also looks at that tunnel period, that, that sort of interesting period of time between Jesus' death and when Paul's letters are written, which is about a 20-year period from about 30 AD to 50 AD. And what did Christians believe about Jesus during that time? Did they simply believe that he was a, a human being exalted to God and then he didn't become divine until he was exalted? Simon Gathercole does a, does a good job of showing that that Jesus' exaltation means he was given further roles and further kind of honors, but it, it was not kind of a, a Christology created from nothing. Uh, then in the next chapters, Chris Tilling does a, a, a good piece on Ammon's approach to Paul, and he does it in two parts. First of all, he looks at Ammon's overall approach to the way he handles and interprets Paul's letters on Christology, and then he gets into the, some of the nitty-gritty details, looking at the interpretation of key texts such as Philippians 2. He then really surgically dismantles Ammon's view that Paul thought Jesus was an angel who became human. In a final section of the book, Charles Hill does an elegant work of looking at how the early church handled some of the uh, you know, theological quandaries they had to deal with. How could Jesus be fully human and fully divine? How could God be three and one? And Charles Hill does, I, I think, an exceptional job of showing that, that the conclusions the early church came to were rooted in Scripture and are actually coherent. Uh, whereas Ammon seems to think they're a little bit more ad hoc and scatterbrained and more contingent on political circumstances, I think Charles Hill shows that there was a really good rhyme and reason 
to some of the inferences that the early church made about Jesus. So that, in a nutshell, if you like, is our response to Ammon. So why should people read your book? I think there's, I think there's two reasons. Number one, Jesus matters. He matters for faith, and what you think of Jesus is probably the most important question you can ever ask. If you want to know who is Jesus, who did he think he was, I think what we have done in this book is a very good way of setting that of setting that out. Uh, what what did Jesus think about his own person, his mission, his purpose, and what did the early church think about him? The the people who knew him, the apostles who proclaimed him. Who is Jesus? That is the question that runs through the New Testament, and it is the question that I think continues to haunt our own culture. We continue to live in a Jesus-haunted world. And I've been in some of the most secular cities in the world, in America and in Europe, and the one thing I've always noticed is that whenever they put on the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, it always sells to, it always plays to packed out houses. Because people are still attracted to the story, to the man. Uh, the second thing I would say is, uh, you know, Bart Ehrman is a serious player. He gets a lot of airtime. Uh, he's on the talk show circuit. He writes a, a lot for the media. He has influenced a whole generation of people with his views. And while not everything he says is, is bad or wrong, uh, it is certainly contestable. And if you want to be equipped to be able to respond to someone who's heard Ammon on a talk show or some college student who's used one of his textbooks, then reading our book will definitely equip you to do that. So those two reasons, uh, the importance of, of knowing Jesus and being able to articulate a coherent and compelling account of Jesus as God in the face of criticism, I think those are two pretty good reasons why this book would be useful to people. Those are excellent reasons. So why is the question, how did Jesus become God, so important? Well, because if Jesus is not God, then he cannot be our savior. If Jesus is not God, he can be a good example. He can be a good teacher, but he cannot be our deliverer. Because as the early church came to the conclusion one created being cannot save another created being. And if Jesus is a created being, whether he's a human or whether he's an angel or whatever, if he is anything less than God, he cannot be our savior. And only a divine Jesus is worthy of our worship. Only a divine Jesus is the one we can look to and say, I am yours, save me. Absolutely. Okay. So has Ehrman read your book? I know it's probably pretty early. Maybe he hasn't had a chance to yet. Have you corresponded with him? I would be anxious to know how he would respond to this book. Yeah, I, I was a little bit worried um, as to how he might respond um, because I, I have an Australian sense of humor, and uh, the Australian sense of humor is very laconic and sardonic. So uh, I, like, I like making jokes of, about people who think they know better than me. And that's what that's what Australians do, since, you know, we're a former convict colony filled with mainly Irish <laughs> Catholics who like making fun of our English overlords. Um, so rather than have a civil war, we just make jokes about them and beat them in cricket. Um, that that was our way of dealing with the English. So I was a little bit worried uh, about how Ammon would respond. So I, I wrote him a letter. I actually sent him a, um, 
I see him in a, an Australian movie called The Castle. That's a good example of the Australian sense of humour, hoping that that might uh, prepare him for some of the things. So uh, at, at a few points, I, I do make a few comical digs um, at Bart Ehrman. In fact, I had to tone it down a bit. Uh, initially, I said things in the in the first draft of the book, like some of Ehrman's arguments are about as convincing as vows of fidelity in a French wedding ceremony. <laughs> But some of my, my editors and colleagues thought that might be, as the British say, a bridge too far. <laughs> um, so, but uh, I know uh, Airman has read the book. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's received it. And uh, I did have a brief exchange with him. And we will be having a, a book review of his book in San Diego in November, where himself, uh, him, uh, myself, a few others will be getting there to discuss the book. And uh, according to uh, Professor Ehrman, we will have a lot to discuss. And that will definitely be the case. Uh, I'm not expecting him to repent in sackcloth and ashes anytime soon. uh, But I would like to uh, maybe get a few concessions for him. Um, I have to say one of my colleagues in the book, Simon Gathercole, has been debating Ehrman uh, on British radio in a show called Unbelievable. And if your listeners want to get a little bit more, they could tune on to that show, which is uh, which is which is on the net on podcasts on a show called Unbelievable, hosted by Justin Brearley. It's a two-part show where Simon Gathercole and Bart Ehrman go mano a mano, and that is quite a good debate as well. Yeah, I'll try and put that link on with this on the GodSolutionShow.com. All right, any concluding thoughts? Uh, concluding thoughts. Um, Whoa, I haven't really got, got thought that far. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, in conclusion, uh, Jesus matters. And one of the reasons why I am still a Christian, I, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of the history. You know, I've, I've studied the ancient language. I've studied manuscripts. I've looked at the story of the early church. But I remain convinced that Jesus is who he said he is. And one of the reasons why I continue to be a Christian uh, is because I'm convinced of the absolute worshipability of Jesus Christ. So that's what's in it for me. Uh, I, I still think the evidence compels me to believe that Jesus is uh, the Lord our God. Absolutely. So that's, that's the note I guess I, I, w- I would finish on. Uh, but it's up to other people. To, de- to decide on that and to answer the questions as Jesus poses to all of us. Who do you say I am? And for those people that want to answer that question, how could they find out more about you and what are some books that you'd suggest that they read? Uh, well, if you want to know uh, more about Jesus, uh, my advice is uh, read the Bible, <laughs> uh, particularly the Gospels. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Gospel of Mark. It's my favorite gospel. That would be a good place to start. There's a, a number of uh, of good introductions about Jesus. Uh, Tom Wright, Simply Jesus, is very good. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, John Dixon, he's also written a, a very good short little book on Jesus that I would recommend. You could probably find that on Amazon.com. I tend to uh, blog uh, fairly regularly on a blog called Evangelion, which you can find uh, on the Internet. And if people are interested, they can follow me on Twitter at mbird12. Awesome. Well, Michael Bird, it has been a true pleasure talking to you. You're our favorite Australian apologist so far. <laughs> How many Australian apologists do you know? <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, well then, it's, uh, I thought it might be a bit rigged in my favor. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And 
I am just so thankful for all your work and, again, for this book. Thank you so much for all that you're doing to advance the cause of Christ and to defend the Christian faith. Mate, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks again so much for being on The God Solution today, Michael Bird. Excellent. We'll take it easy, fellas. We'll see you later. See ya. Okay, bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed all that Dr. Michael Bird had to share. Please buy his new book, How God Became Jesus. Again, that's How God Became Jesus on Amazon today. I hope that you'll come to Christ today, putting your faith in him through prayer, saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner that desperately needs you. Please come into my life. Please forgive my sins. Please be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for rising again to give me new life. Please visit a local church this morning. You could go to godsolutionshow.com to see a list of local churches that you could visit. I'll be speaking at the River Church this morning, and I'd love to see you there. I would also invite you to connect this week, Tuesday, Noble 125 at 6 p.m. Please also consider donating to the God Solution. This is KDUR's spring into summer pledge drive, and you could help keep this show on the air by donating. You could do that right now by calling 970-247-7262, or you could give online at kdur.org. Again, you could call right now to make a pledge at 970-247-7262. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that if you haven't found him yet, that you'll search until you do, and that you'll find Jesus, and that you'll trust him as your Savior and Lord. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.